0: Okay. Hello, everybody. Uh, it's Brett Thompson here, the co-creator of Digital Discourse Today, And I'm really excited about the conversation we're going to be having today. I've got uh, here with me, or not right with me, but quite close to me, is uh, T.K. Power, who's um, quite an interesting guy that's going to be talking about some issues facing the country in terms of the political landscape that we find ourselves in. Um, but before I get in, uh, involved, uh, T.K., maybe if you can introduce yourself and tell us a bit about you.
1: All right. No thanks for having me, Brett. I'm a public policy specialist by training. Uh, worked in local government, also worked in provincial government. Currently lecturing. I've done some consulting on the side. Uh, my interest in policy, I mean, stems from the fact that uh, I think, as we, when I was taught at graduate level, it was the fact that listen, all government action is policy. And I never pictured myself as a good politician. I think it's uh, not my calling in life, so to speak. But uh, I mean, uh, we've seen, uh, I come from a small township in Southwest of uh, Joburg. And we, you know, we've seen the good and the bad side of policy. So that's, that's my interest in policy. The fact that you can actually change people's life through policy, and hence, hence that's my interest in it. Lecturing, well, look, it's, it's exciting when you do it. Uh, hate marking, but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but outside that look those are my key interests and that's what I'm currently busy with at the moment.
0: Okay, excellent. So, yeah, it's really, really good to have you, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to sort of unpacking some of the the, the news items and and stories that are sort of been happening around the elections. Um, look, it's today. Uh, the recording is the 23rd of May, so elections have done, been done and dusted. Um, I think people in South Africa maybe have a bit of election fatigue, but I think it'll be interesting to sort of have a bit of a post mortem on what we had, um, you know, a couple of weeks back now or a week ago, and. Um, and I just wanted to sort of hear your insights. Just maybe, just a, sort of a broad overview of how you thought um, the election was run, and then also just sort of um, maybe some of the bigger winners and losers um, out of the out of the election, um, with maybe some focus on the big four. Oh,
1: okay. Then i start with the, with the winners. I think uh, obviously the fact that the ANC got 57, they were a bit. Uh, they were a bit I think they're a bit worried. So the fact that they got the majority, the fact that they got to keep slimly keep counting, which which makes them a winner, and I think it also shows our voter. I think in economics there's a term called in in, in what's it, inelasticity. Inelastic, mm-hmm. always get that word wrong. Yeah. Which shows uh-huh. that look, voters tend to for everything we we've hypothesised about the South African voter. I think we still have to do a lot more research as to what ha- what what makes an average ANC voter look. I'll speak from my personal point of view. Uh, my 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 parents are very big ANC complainers. Yet the weirdest thing is during election, I think they bust my brother back from mm. varsity, uh, Stream to say you will come vote for the ANC, or there will mm. be no pocket money for you. <laughs> so just <laughs> so basically shows you look, the ANC voting is a very I want to say rational, but irrational votes at the same time, mm-hmm. and obviously for the the second big winner for me would have to be a party like the Freedom Front Plus. And mm-hmm. I know people will be surprised why would you start with them over the AFF. it Would be, initially they're doubling their numbers. Uh, there, mm-hmm. there's a message which whether you like it or not, there's a message which they stick to which is finding resonance, especially among, you know, your, I'd say you not fair weather, but let's rather say your, your traditional Democratic Alliance members, which I think creates an interesting uh, concoction going forward as to what does it mean for the DA? Because uh, as long as you've known the DA, they've always been the party that locks down the minority populations in South Africa. Now, interestingly about the Freedom Front Plus, I doubt they'll ever want to do a metamorphosis in the same way the DA has been trying to do. Mm. So that, for me, is very interesting. And I think the the losers, and, I, and I'll say the losers of the small L rather than the, uh, the big L would be, obviously, the EFF. And I say this mm. because going into the election, if, uh, I think there was one article which was written, if Twitter was the vote in public, yeah. uh, Julius Zimmer would be president. And I think the media sometimes, I think that's, uh, I'll say maybe people bit clear, mainstream media does a bit of disservice by, I think not actually articulating what the EFF is in relation to the rest of society. Because if you were to really believe mainstream media, the EFF was going to romp away. And it's Mm -hmm. I think we talked about it uh, last week We said if you actually put all the numbers together of of both the EFF and the DA, they still don't come up to what the ANC is. So Mm -hmm. as much as it's grown nationally, I think that if for me for me I'll, I'll speak from the North, Northwest province if for me I had to say wow, ff is really a serious party to be reckoned with they should have taken uh, taken the AC below 60 percent in places like the Northwest province in uh, and then so that sorry, that for me is a lot, is a larger no. loser a lot, the bigger loser for me is look it's the fact that people didn't vote I think there was at nine I think you'll stand you correct me nine million or so people that didn't vote.
0: Well, I mean I've got I mean the numbers have been quite interesting to look at but um you know I think in, I, I, the percentage ones I, I find is the most interesting thing um, in terms of turnouts in 1999 we had something like 89 percent and then it moved to seventy three point four uh, in 2014 and in this year we had we clocked in at just under 66 percent so that's been a steady decline in, in overall turnouts um, and I also found quite another one was um, uh, it seems like there was more than 18 million eligible voters, more than half electorate, actually didn't vote. So, I mean, Jeez. again, there's a, there's, a, there's a number of, um, sort of sources for this and, and, and how we can look at it and how we can analyze But it, regardless of what we say, clearly people were cynical and stayed home.
1: And I think that for me, is a, that means a Republic with a large L is a bigger loser. Now, mm-hmm. look, I, I used to live in Australia, so I'm for mandatory voting. Uh, mm-hmm. By that I mean I don't really care who you vote for, uh, look, as long as you just turn up and at least make a decision on the day. And I think, look, I'm, I'm, most tests uh, which scientists have run, especially political scientists have run when it comes to this, is that you might tell yourself, I'm going to go there and not vote and just spoil a ballot. You end up actually voting, truth be told. Yeah yeah for me the bigger worry is you start to be, when people start to no longer believe that the system works and there's nothing for me in it they become more desperate and that for me literally means i think the country is a bigger loser than anything yeah. else
0: and you see i mean you probably see people it boils out more into the streets maybe there's more civil unrest more protest action it seems to be now almost like a common occurrence i mean i'm i'm pulling out the western cape and um, it's just a routine event now that highways are closed and uh, ac- um, this I think there was the Two Oceans half marathon, or marathon rather, which was disrupted because of uh, potential protest action. So people maybe are not seeing that the, the ballot box is helping them. Um, and, and even if they do vote, they're not going to see the change. So they're finding other needs. But I, I want to sort of go into that realm just yet. I want to sort of double back to the, what you spoke about um, with Australia and having mandatory um, uh, voter registration and, uh, and voting. Because, um, I, I mean, their numbers is like 91% or roughly uh, the number yeah. of turnouts. Um, and it's quite uh, there's quite a spread. I mean, you've got uh, the US, I think it's about 65, UK 69. Interestingly enough, Zimbabwe is about 83% turnout in their last elections, which I, I, I was kind of struck when I came across that. I don't know how true these numbers are. <laughs> um, if that's just uh, there's on a PF saying that's how many people they decided to vote. But, uh, you know, I mean, maybe what... <sighs> What is it saying is, is it people people don't believe that Cyril mamapos can make a difference people just said it's a forconquer conclusion that he's going to win what, what what is the what is some of the plays um, um, around the, the turn-off that you can think of
1: I, I think it, it, one can read it in two ways if you look at the ones that actually voted if you look at I think you view the split between national and province most people at national level there's actually a bit of a discrepancy between the the ANC votes and uh, what, what they got of province which is people split mm-hmm. their vote and uh, especially in the western cape was actually very bizarre because you tend to find people actually vote in the western cape actually tended mm. to vote for the nc nationally which can be seen as people saying i actually like cyril the person i'll mm. vote for him i just don't like mm. the party Now, for the ones that stayed at home, I think was a simple issue of saying, listen, we've done this song and dance before, uh, where we're told that our vote counts and we must come and we must be part of it, but it's not really working. And I think the danger for me is that this, now this, I think, cynicism is actually now spreading into rural areas. And that's where the ANC used to, look, I think without even trying, they would get votes there. So for me, it's that cynicism, which is really kicking in. And people are saying, look, I'm not even going to bother and waste my time anymore. I'm not getting anything from the party, and whoever represents the party, we really don't care.
0: Yeah, I mean, I came across quite an interesting interactive map. I mean, there were a host of these doing doing the rounds, um, and um, just showing by ward and by uh, to, uh, obviously most of the times it was which party won which ward. But I, yeah. I, I found a map that came across sort of voter turnout by um, uh, by region in South Africa, and. Sort of, I'm, not, I'm just looking at it from a broad overview and it kind of seems to say that um it, it, urban dwellers seem to be voting still but rural people, not so much the red is primarily in the urban areas and then in, in the um in the in the cities people are voting uh, and also interesting enough uh, the northern Cape seem to have quite a quite a fair amount of voter turnout compared to the rest of the country but i'm just looking at it from a very sort of top-down approach i don't know if you've got any thoughts on that
1: no, I think it's, it's more of a worry than anything else because usually, especially if you look at liberation movements on the continent, this actually goes back the trend. Usually it's the city dwellers that actually stop to vote. Okay. And it will be the rural. If Zanu's power. Zanu, even Mugabe for all his his wrong, he still could get his his rural voters out. So it's mm-hmm. actually quite odd if you if you're saying it that way because it says that this is actually turning the upside down a bit. That mm-hmm. if if anything, if the ANC is going in the future, if, if any party is going to topple the ANC, there could there's actually stand a good chance if they were to actually target the rural areas. And then mm-hmm. what what is interesting? This is maybe where this one of the small winners, or the W would be the IFP.
0: Because mm-hmm. if there is
1: a party who, is, and look, and I think here we just specifically speak about uh, the KZN, which happens to be one of the biggest voting blocks in the country. If there is a way you really would want to cut the ANC down at rural level, the IFP is one of those parties which knows the trick due to their history in rural politics.
0: Do you think there's some elements, um, you know, with um, KZN, was always Jacob Zuma's sort of stronghold, um, with him sort of no longer being involved with the party. Do you think that might have been an explanation with um, why the IFP might have seen as a, as, a, as a winner in this election, or is it just, um, again, people moving out of the NC's sort of uh, clutches? Not clutches, but stronghold.
1: No, I think you've got, you've got it quite right. He, he is a look, he's a very divisive individual. I think most mm. of your, your viewers and listeners would know that, but mm. he, he has this most amazing charisma as any, I think, leader in his position has historically done. Mm. Where he's able to, could, I, I've actually got family in KZN. Mm. Uh, I've got a brother he looks uh, entrepreneur, and I'd like to think somebody who's very rational in his thinking. Mm. But don't you dare mention the words Jacob Zuma and bad. No, it's just yes, yeah. It, it, yeah, it's from the wise family, so I have to be careful. Mm. I think to give <laughs> part. <coughs> yeah. So what the point <laughs> is to say. He, he has his following, and what I think a lot of people, I think there was early analysis into it that he actually bludgeoned the IFP a lot because he took a lot of traditional voters from the IP into the ANC, who basically just wanted a let's say a, a Zulu president. They didn't mm-hmm. hide it; it was live there in KZN. They're quite open about such things, mm-hmm. and when he was seen to be, I think, uh, stepping down, I think a lot of them felt that listen, let's just maybe go to, back to a party that represents us a bit more. So. That's why you saw that the ANC could not completely kick him out of the campaign mm. in KZN.
0: They kept him
1: close enough that he could be seen to still be former president of the ANC, but far enough so that you know at least your business then those types of newspapers would not ask questions about. But what's he still doing around?
0: Yeah. Okay. That's, I mean, I, I, we've, uh, I, as I said, I don't want to sort of spend too much time talking about the, the results in the election. Um, but I, I thought maybe if you could just just close off um, this component um, and just speak to maybe some of the narratives that seem to be discussed quite a lot. So, you know, globally this idea of populism happening everywhere, whether it's um, in Europe or in um, in North America and um, the disruptive sort of things that have come out there, whether it's Trump or Brexit or, um, you know, people just not predicting it and people putting it on the rise of populism. Are we seeing that in South Africa in some ways where we've got, um, even though the EFF maybe wasn't as big a win as it should have been, yeah. they've grown, uh, and the Freedom Front Plus, who both are, if you look at the spectrum, one is bit, sort of aligns right, one aligns left, left, um, and they're the ones that seem to be sort of taking ground. Or is it just sort of a breakup of the existing, um, you know, strongholds within the DA's movement to that, and then strongholds within the ANC have moved to the uk uh,
1: You know, populism in South Africa is very hard in the sense that I think, I think at the core of it, South Africans tend to be very centrist, it's always been my mm. argument. Because, look, if if we had to follow, let's say, proper historical analysis of South Africa, a party like the PAC should be doing far better. Historically, yeah. should have done far better. And the natural precursor would have been a party like the EFF. And the Freedom From Plus, with uh, with its links to AfriForum and everything else, should be doing better. So I think it's uh, there's always a popular we can't deny, within every population, there are people who do, well, look, that politics appeals to them and it's good mm-hmm. for them but uh, I think there comes a limit and I think maybe w- what we can see with the EFF is that I think we can maybe start assessing that maybe the threshold is what, 13, 15% mm-hmm. at best if we're to say what populism is, is because I think most of the m- two mainstream parties in South Africa namely your DA and your ANC, I think they within themselves the dynamics are so strong that within them I think they are extremists so they, which kind mm-hmm. of, it's, it, no, it's, it's a very good balancing act because mm-hmm. you don't allow it to ever you can leave the party like the EFF left the ANC but i think that was more had nothing to do with ideology i think it was just the Mm -hmm. fact there was more personality based than anything else Mm -hmm. but but i think within these two parties that the the, i think that the radicalness or maybe the extremism by the time it gets to election i think they they tend to have withered or they they tend to become a bit more mainstream so i think we we're not going to see anything in line with the with, uh, with, with Trump. I think the only issue which really is driving South African politics is the material condition. And uh, this is where all the parties, whether they were left, right, even look for AFRI Forum, and I'm not AFRI Forum, but Freedom from Plus, which is jobs,
0: and understanding- kind of you, 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 You're using AFRI Forum and Freedom Front to change of a Is that purposefully done? Yes, because I think if the history is that, look, this is where I, I do, I think this is where
1: I, they, I give them a lot of credit. Unlike the ANC and its alliance, I, I think the, the Freedom Front Plus should actually teach the ANC a few things about actually having a proper alliance partner which brings substance to the table. Mm-hmm. If you know your Freedom Front Plus Afri Forum, uh, the union basically, the, the way they actually work, it's actually very interesting, the the the, the synergy between them. They're very common, the unity in terms of what they want. Mm-hmm. And it's almost there's a clear line between what the union does and what the party does, which mm-hmm. is very odd because you think the ANC would have with Korsati, with the SACP would actually have mastered this after close yeah. to 40 years but every forum and let's say Freedom From Plus actually tend to do quite well and like you say most people when you tell them Freedom From Plus every forum, it takes a bit of a while to click and then they're like oh yeah of course and now we mm-hmm. see the link because mm-hmm. I live in Pretoria so when you actually drive past the, the offices you actually see them you're like oh okay <laughs> plus they've got the whole the whole thing, so I think it's it's a very. I find them very interesting in, in that setting.
0: And, and they could probably, I mean, you said I think the, the Freedom From Plus could also sort of teach the DA, uh, maybe in some ways, because um, they, you know, they've been, the, the FF Plus, not the EFF, FF plus, I mean, quite, <laughs> they've, they've stuck to a message, they've stuck, this is our core principle, yeah. these are core dynamics, and we are focusing on on appealing to the minorities in South Africa, um, while the DA, the criticism that I see quite often is that they've kind of watered down their message, they've sort of moved away from their sort of founding more liberal, classically liberal principles, and are trying to catch the, uh, the uh, maybe a disgruntled ANC uh, voter, um, by, but but also adopting a number of policies that would be kind of seen to be very strongly linked with the ANC, um, and I think that might have caused some sort of um, shift out of out of your stronghold DA person in, into, into an alternative, whether it's a smaller party, uh, like good or to
1: the Freedom Fight Plus? No, exactly. It, it, like, it reminds me of the situation where uh, Hillary Clinton, where I think, post her losing to Trump, you know, they asked her, some of her supporters, "What did she actually stand for?" And they said, "Look, we, we saw the poster. We knew first female president of America, and that's all we knew." And mm-hmm. they could not mm-hmm. tell you well, look, for all his faults, Trump is very clear. You know, yep. the, visu- the visual of the wall
0: <laughs> makes a, yeah. a lot of
1: sense. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same thing with uh, with the uh, Democratic Alliance. I, I think I told you this last week. The first mm-hmm. time I actually heard Mr., uh, Mr. Maimani Musi speak, and I was like, oh, wow, this guy, he, he actually has a bit of that something different about him was when we went to go cast his vote in Soweto. Mm-hmm. He spoke, you know, off the cuff. It came from the heart. And I was like, mm-hmm. but wait, and I was in studio at the time, and even the presenters were like, but why don't you speak like this throughout the mm-hmm. campaigning? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the frustration with the DA, which is I don't know what they stand for. I, I'm yeah. actually very confused as to... I know they yeah. say liberal, but, you know, liberal in the context of South Africa is... I always say this, liberal for a black person and liberal for a white person, even though it, whatever white might mean at that time, is two diff- totally different things. And I think the fact that they don't actually ventilate such arguments, I think actually does them a disservice on the members. Because I think this issue of the Freedom From Plus could have been easily handled. Had they just allowed members to actually ventilate because, uh, look, we don't want a situation where, I think what I think was it, Hillary said the basket of deplorable, which just uh, yeah. actually sent Trump into, into euphoria, which is said not everyone that voted for the Freedom from Plus is racist. You might just find they generally haven't have a problem with the dynamics of the country, and I think that's maybe where political parties are a bit behind the times, where they don't allow people to ventilate their frustrations in a controlled environment. Yeah, I
0: think I think you've touched there, and and it does seem the rhetoric that's coming um, from the from the DA is a little bit of good riddance. And um, and then again, that just sort of bolsters the people that have made that decision to move and it really sort of feeds into, the this, not the stronghold that the Freedom Front Plus has, but just um, it, it's probably helping their numbers more than anything else. And it's again making a lot of people looking at the DA just not clear. I just don't understand what they want. Um, and it mainly was a campaign, you know, as you said, to to Hillary's, uh, it was stop the EFF and ANC, and it wasn't actually anything else. Um, and there was also this sort of ran um, sort of push also to South Africa, like to nationalism as well, which was sort of uncharacteristics <laughs> of them. Yeah, I don't know if you like the We Are South Africa or the South Africa First. There was some of that. I'm, I'm, I'm misquoting it now, but I, I don't know if you picked up that as well. If it, if it was just me misreading their four billboards. But uh, yeah. <laughs> That that
1: one was actually quite interesting because uh, look, uh, look, I'm, I'm I'm not I'm not against nationalism as such, mm-hmm. but but there is an issue, and I think most of the Africans now. There's one thing, and again, so it's 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 a weakness of our politics is that people are very sensitive about having open borders in South Africa. If anything, uh, I come from a township, and I can tell you the general feeling is people are very upset with the way the ANC over the last twenty years has handled the issue of borders. It's not so much that they don't want migrants, it's an issue of saying, you, you, we already uh, have got dynamics in this country of the economy where we, we still just have to fix the formal ones. So to allow people to come compete with us in an informal sector is nonsense. So I thought, wow, that is quite different from, like you're saying, it's not what your traditional liberals mm-hmm. would actually go for. And I think this is where maybe the, the rise of Mr. Herman Mashaba comes into place where for all his folly but that he, he's actually found a resonance with people who say, you know what, this issue of the border is quite true. But the issue, again, if you've got so many messages where but you say this, but then on one hand you agree with the EFF in being the same party and numerous municipalities, and like you said, the fact that we just know you're stopping, stopping ANC, stop EFF, it, like I said, it's, like you, it's almost like a scattergun approach. I'll try right. everything
0: <laughs> yeah, and I'll see yeah. what
1: sticks to the wall.
0: Yeah, I think it's, it, will, it will be interesting to see where where the next couple of um, months take us. And um, I, I wanted to maybe just sort of change, the, uh, move the conversation into um, the next 12, uh, three to six months or, or whatnot. And um, I, as we're recording, I, I don't know if I mentioned this, really, it's the 23rd of May. Um, we've probably, we've got um, uh, the inauguration happening this Saturday, May 25th, um, and Cabinet being announced. Um, on the twenty, on the twenty seventh. Um, I, I don't know if maybe you could just speak to some of the events that you think might we might see in the next couple of days with inauguration coming out. And and this is probably only going to go uh, be released next week um, after the fact. So I don't know what um, sort of response you think, and what what do you think um, uh, um, Mr. Ramboz will be saying um, when he's inaugurated? What is the sort of message? It seems a lot of unity is what he's speaking about.
1: I think unity is well. I think the unity is more aimed at his party than the rest of the mm. republic, truth be told. Because again, again, it's it's one thing where, yes, look, the ANC won the election, but most critically, the Cyril Ramaphosa was seen as a major uh, as a major reason why they actually won this election, contrary to what the Secretary General believes. Uh, but the, the key thing I think going forward is it just has to be the economy one. Two, how's he actually going to constitute his cabinet? As in What's going to be the size? What's it going to look like? And three, and this is where maybe we, re- the policy going forward in terms of how do you actually get the private sector to actually unlock a lot of the money which they have either overseas or here? I think that that's the core message. Everything else will look, it will be the nice flowery language about Mandela, or about 1994, and this is that moment, which I think most Africa is a bit over that. But there's always a certain population you try to appeal to for that. Mm-hmm. But the key thing will be jobs, will be size of cabinet, and three, what it's going to look like and how he's going to enforce that. Because I think he's actually got a very, if I'm not mistaken, the NGC meeting is in December for the ANC. And if he's not seen to have really unified the party or been seen as the man in the party, look, we're not saying, you know, we, we're not uh, political uh, espionage people here, but there, there are rumours within the ANC that, listen, he has... The sad thing about it is that he's not truly got rid of the, pre- the former President Jacob Zuma's faction. They're still quite strong. They, it's almost like a 49-48 uh, pers- split amongst mm. the ANC. So he needs to be seen to work very quickly as a president, such that even if people like Isma Chushul have got the numbers. They'll be wary to say, "Listen, let's get rid of him." Mm-hmm. It will be an issue of saying, "Okay, let's at least at worst, let's allow him to save out his first term."
0: Yeah, I mean, if you, you, you touched on a few things with what he was going to be, you know, talking about, and probably what the focus is jobs, uh, economy, and uh, something that you, you you left out, which I wanted to touch on a little bit later. So maybe we don't have to get into too much. Of the weeds uh, at the moment, but land—that uh, that was a—it seemed to be a big—not not, not seemed—it was a massive discussion prior to the during the election. Um, uh, it, it saw the rise of um, the one party that didn't even get a, a seat, so I don't even have to bother with mentioning them now. But um, <laughs> uh, but but the EFF used it as a strong uh, ploy. Um, there was a lot of discussions with EWC uh, expropriation without compensation. Um, not let's not get too much into that now. But just maybe your thoughts. Is that going to be a discussion on, on you know, if
1: during his inauguration? Do you think? No, I think you'll touch on it a bit briefly, but and the reason I don't touch on that much, that my, this is just my opinion and I stand to be correct That I think when people speak land, especially political parties in South Africa, I think there's still a confusion as to what do you mean by land. Mm-hmm. Now the EFF has got the policies quite extensive when they speak about it, but I've, I've yet to you know move, go into a debate where I meet the general population and they can tell me look this is what they mean they speak about the historical injustice which I think no one disagrees with Mm. but I think what what tends to come next is okay we all agree on that what's what's the next And and I think until the population coalesces around that. I think political parties will forever touch on, it's emotive. you can't hide the fact you say land, everybody will jump up in a room. But mm-hmm. the reason I don't trust political parties, or I don't trust them enough via through policy to say, this. and on my word, this is going to be a major issue because I think, yes, we could do the land thing now, but people will still complain about jobs. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in fact, for me, it's almost like it's incremental. You need to sort the jobs out. Yeah. And then like, once we're in a place where look, there's, there's money rolling in. Then I think we can actually have that mature conversation with adults in the room to say, listen, what, what's the decision we're going to make concerning land? So it will yeah. always be an emotive issue. I'm not, I'm not getting away from that. But I, I think the, the burning issue when I speak to my students at the moment is, yes, land we want. We, that's not an issue. But you know what? I'd like more than land and anything else. That I want to graduate tomorrow and make sure that I've got employment. Then yeah. I can actually
0: start getting into this conversation. Yeah, And I think I think that it, it interlocks so many things and I think the discussion of immigration also changed if we move yeah. from uh, an economy with 27 or 28 percent unemployment to that going on the decline that you know that the people here don't see it as a competition, st- such a strong competition with outside immigration. So um, yeah I think those the, the jobs seems to be unanimously the biggest Concern that's driving uh, driving South African politics at the moment. Uh, so you know, we, we we touched on the cabinet slightly. I, I can't just go on on any uh, Twitter or whatever without somebody mentioning the fact that he's going to be trimming his cabinet size. Uh, why is that important? You, you know, why is is, that a, is it sending a message? Like, is it is it trying to trim the facts? Like, and and who do you think is going to be jostling for the positions? And like, how much of a faction? Of the the old guard is going to be there, the reformists, the the more radicals. Um, what do you what do you see being the makeup there?
1: All right, uh, look, is he trimming? I think I think it's important that he trims. Look, if you look at where I think the f- the fifth or was it the fourth elections of President Jacob Zuma came into into power, he just expanded it. He he bloated, and look, we, everybody knew that bloating was due to the fact that he owed favors and he needed to get certain people in. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah. So now. The trimming, I think it's just actually about streamlining government business. Look, for the last 10 to, I think, 10 years, government business has been very slow. There is what's the, the state of the nation, state of the province, and the state of different municipalities, and the time lag between decisions there has been uh, due to the fact that I think National has not had a clear picture of what National needs to do. One only has to look at the Ministry of Small Business. No one will disagree that small businesses are the future but how many people can actually say listen we actually knew what the small business was ministry was doing all the way down to local level so i think what he's just basically trying to do is, uh, rightfully so which is to say listen truth be told uh, i always tell my students uh, the chinese uh, government has i think close to uh, it's 25 between 25 and 30 ministries now that's a population of a billion plus yes. so there's actually never been reasoning why we have such a bloated cabinet mm-hmm. if anything it's just more being for comradeship than anything else so I think he does need to trim it down. And, and look, it's also about making sure in trimming it down, he, he has people he can put there who he can trust. Now, like you say, now the key question is who stays and who goes. And this is why I think uh, the weakness of the ANC going forward is going to show. And, and I always tell people that it, it's not by virtue of their age. And I'm sure you've watched that Skyfall, uh, the James yeah. Bond movie. That, uh, <laughs> one of my favorite lines is by the new Q. Well, and speaking to James, age is not a guarantee the age is not a guarantee of wisdom, his youth is not a guarantee of innovation. Mm-hmm. So I think it's the same thing of saying, listen, the ANC, I think they're quite, they, when you look at who he can bring in, it's actually quite limited. Let's focus on uh, one ministry finance. The fact that there's still rumors that Tito when is gonna be going in, clearly the man does not love that position. He, he's, he's said it a million times over. He feels that he's hamstrung. I think he's got a bit of Miss uh, former Premier Zilla's uh, disease with, uh, with Twitter. that's what he really wants to do but now the the question is is he's stuck, who can he put in in treasury who he trusts and the numbers are so few that I think a lot of the old guard might be returning and when they look for who's new this is where I think when I say they're stuck going forward is the numbers are so limited in terms of experience and people which also international investors can also trust and I know South Africans never like when people say that but this is where, and I always tell people, look, we, we're price takers for most things internationally. And this is when I think one of the conversations which we also maybe going forward, we actually need to look to say, look, South Africa's contribution, I think, to the world GDP, if I'm not mistaken, 0.33 or, or along those numbers, which says, listen, we need the world more than the world needs us. You say that that's not true if you listen to South African speaking, that the world does seem to revolve around us. So I think he, he really does need people who can actually go to your Davos, who can actually go to the US, the UN, who can actually take advantage of issues like Brexit to say, listen, how do you bring money home to South Africa? So so that really does tell you that it's a limited pool, of, a limited amount of people he can choose from. So I'm not expecting any new names which are going to rock our boats, if anything. I'm just expecting a small niche of all the people who've been there, who I think the best thing he can say, he can try to promise us, is to say people who were not tainted by corruption.
0: Yeah, which is quite a, uh, that is a small pool. Um, <laughs> I um, <laughs> I, uh, I know we, we spoke a little bit earlier about sort of the um, the building of alliances and, and the ANC having such a strong alliance for 40 years with the SACP and the uh, COSATU. Uh, how is that going to factor into the decision-making? Or does, that, does Ramaphosa have a job to be done, so that's sort of secondary? Or, or does he have to take that into account when he's choosing his his, his cabinet?
1: Uh, for him, unlike maybe a lot more presidents, it, it, that's his actual base. If you look at how he got back into the formal politics, it was via Kosatu. If you, if you look at the Northwest Province, he, his biggest backers over his battle with Mr. Supra Muhammadu, you know, the former Premier of the province, has been the Alliance partner. So for him, he is very much indebted to them, and hence he he I think more than, I think even more so than President Jacob Zuma pays a lot more attention to Alliance politics because that's where he himself comes from. So I think he, he will always have a soft spot for them because that that's his actual, he, you have to understand, he doesn't actually have a constituency within the ANC because he's, he's someone you classify as being from Limpopo but actually grew up in Gauteng. But if you had to ask him what's his branch, he doesn't really have one. His branch was actually the NUM, COSATU and the SACP. So those are the two parties he knows he needs to keep on-site going forward. But the key thing to ask is, what happens when he now starts trimming ESCOM and union members lose their jobs? Mm-hmm. Because look, you can't deny that, that that's going to become a much of a reality. And for, from what I've seen, he's actually going to benefit from the weakness institutionally of these two organizations. The fact that Kosatu has been hemorrhaging numbers for the last decade. The SACP is, look, I think the only as relevant as, is it Red October? I think it's the uh, mm-hmm. Socialist Month, it's their birthday month or something.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, I think they're only that relevant, so he's going to benefit from their weakness, where that they know they need him more than they need each other. It's a it's a symbiotic relationship, so that's how I
0: view that alliance going forward. And uh, sort of just to just to push you a little bit more, like what what kind of positions that he picks is going to be a signal. So like one, what are, what is a signal to say that he is looking to reform and clean up the state capture, or one to so that maybe he doesn't have as much power and it's probably. A, a Zuma faction that is still very strong, or one that says um, no, he's playing into <coughs> sort of, um, And also, just to, to let our viewers know, um, TK is battling a cold and he's still uh, soldiering on, so we really appreciate your time, uh, in spite of the fact that you're heavily medicated at the moment. Um, My voice normally so, sounds better. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's kind of got this gravelly sort of uh, filter, so I think uh, I'm sure we'll appreciate it. Uh, but so, but yeah, I, you see what I'm saying? What kind of signals can we look for um, in 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 the makeup of the cabinet to say, okay, that's where we can say he's probably tending to go towards.
1: Uh, look, for, for me, the, the the big one would have to be, look, uh, people like, it's actually more internally than anything else because the, the highest ranking position, let's say the highest ranking officer at the moment of somebody who's, who's known to support, openly support Mr. Zuma is Mr. Isma Khashul. And the fact that he's not going to cabinet actually makes it very hard. Everyone else, I mean, we've heard that people like Mr. Gaba, Ms. Numbula have stepped back. Mm-hmm. Which uh, look, it's it's a sign if that if that's the type of sign you're looking for. But for me, I think it's it's an issue of time. It, going forward, I'd want to see. Let's look. I'm like everyone else. I want the state capture thing to be wrapped up and done with, because I think it's not a legal. I think it's important people. It's not a legal process. It's if any. It's a fact. It's a, it's a it's a fact finding mission. For me, it's when that's done and dusted. As president of the Republic, will he have the political capital to now turn this fact-finding mission into actual charges and put it at the at the doorstep of law enforcement? For me, if he can do that without any challenges, that's when I'll say, you know, this man is fully in charge of the Republic. If he stalls, and by stalling, I mean, he, he, he'll tell us he's going to do it. But like anything in the ANC, it goes on for three years and then he, we've been told, but look, it's gone through the process. We, one thing we've learned about him is that when he wants things to go quickly, they do. When he wants to stop, president's got that ability. So for me, it's, a, it's a, that, that. for me is the biggest. I uh, think, cursor to see has he actually got power? Is can he turn this, this uh, the fact finding that has gone through the Zonda Commission into an actual law enforcement document? Okay, that's yeah, that's good. good to know.
0: Um, and uh, yeah, I thought. Any um, in, in terms of deputy presidents, any 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 ideas? I I just I came across something this morning. I think somebody threw the. Tuli totally Modern name in the hats. I don't know. If that was just a, that was just twi- that was Twitter showing itself. Um, uh, it's wishes, but not really reality. I don't know. What are your thoughts there, and then we can sort of move on. And move on. I, I think that actually is. I find
1: it fascinating that someone like Didi Mabuza might decide to step down. Mm. I say that because you have to understand his history in Pumalanga. This is a man who. Look, if your favorite book is is Sanzu, the Art of War. You clearly know that this is someone who takes a lot of time to to think through his decisions. Mm-hmm. So for him to step down, I, I thought it would have been good for the president that he might actually go to Lituli House and he keep an eye on someone like Ace Machashula. But then there, there, obviously there are those murmurs which says this person actually sees himself as president of the ANC one day. Uh, so it, it could be an issue of saying Jacob Zuma actually showed the way that, listen, not being in government is actually the most wonderful thing for an ANC high-ranking official. You've got all the time in the world to go create your branches and do what you want. So whoever comes in as deputy, I, I, the fact that you're not the deputy of the ANC says to me, it's going to be ceremonial. Hence, I don't think it will hurt him to either put a, of like who look, I know people have their opinions based on their husband, which is not what I always want to get to, but she's actually a very brilliant technocrat. If you look at the ministry she's actually gone through, uh, she was the one who brought in the reforms at the Home Affairs. So we no longer have to wait for, for IDs forever. She was health was also great, but I think then uh, I think foreign affairs she actually did quite a good job. So I think for the government business, I think she probably would be the best uh, the best choice because she understands how the gov- how the, how government is supposed to work. But I don't see that as a precursor to saying this is the person who will now take over from President uh, Cyril Maposa Should he step down or should he be forced to step down? Because that power still resides within the ANC. So
0: I think it'll be good for whoever it is, but I don't see it as anything significant. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think, I think a lot of people see Zuma's uh, coming in as as just being part of the faction of, of Zuma, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and whether or not uh, she will take... if she does set, in uh, you know, what sort of position she holds and if she's got much power. But, you know, I, I hear your point to say that that is maybe more ceremonial than anything else. Um, then I thought maybe, you know, we can... Um, sort of move slightly away from uh, the uh, the next steps that we're going to be seeing over the next couple of months and um, move into sort of maybe a longer vision, um, a longer vision for South Africa, you know, like you don't have to explain uh, to people on the street that things don't seem to be that good, you know, GDP yeah. growth is not happening, um, we've got all the issues, crime, unemployment, It's been we've had it for years, everybody's sort of tired of it, they know about it, um, so I, I thought, you know, there's been a, we've we also seem to say there's a lot of politics that gets discussed, um, but often there's not a lot of discussion about the policy that might be there to change the things that we find, the change area that we find ourselves in. Um, you know, we've we spoken about this before, you and I, and this idea between, there's a difference between politics and policy, and um, the way that South Africans maybe look too much at the politics opposed to the policy. Uh, I don't know if you can maybe just touch on that and just expand a bit on that.
1: Oh yeah! Look, I think this is my bad day with South African politics. Now, look, I think uh, as a, well, not Aristotle, but I think as a political philosopher, I'd say all things are political. And look, mm-hmm. that's not our disagreement, but, but but the issue is when it comes to the, the public administration of government, I think we've been very poor at that which is to say I fully admit that listen before you have a policy, you, you go through the politics, you go through the compromises. But I think where and I, and I think the manifesto actually showed us this where there tends to be a huge weakness is if you, if I to ask you was know, just a general person the party you support, if you run through the manifesto, if you had to cost it for me what it would be. Now the FF will say look because I think they're the most uh, the most visibly out there with their one of saying expropriation of without a uh, compensation all right. Because then the question I'd ask is, hey, do you understand the total, what's the total GDP contribution that the financial sector makes, namely your banks which you want to nationalize? Because if you're saying overnight you're going to take them, what what are the mechanizations that look like? And I think this is where I get my irritation comes in that people don't actually do the cost. Mm-hmm. Because it's almost a rhetoric, which is to say, okay, we're nationalizing. Look, I've no issues with in nationalization, provided you can give me a cost and you can tell me, listen, if I'm taking over Standard Bank, the, the big four, and I'm not going to pay them back, I fully understand that what's going to happen next is that we're going to be sanctioned for the next 10 years and we're going to, none of us are going to be able to take our money out of the country. We're going to be stuck. Uh, the ATMs will be closed. I've, then I've got no issue because it costed it for me. And I mean, mm. think that's, that's why I tell myself, that's my introduction to policy, which is to say, you actually tell me the science behind what you're saying, which is, I don't want the speech. Just give me the numbers of what you're saying. Tell me how you're going to resolve it. And I always tell people this, policy is not perfect. There is no such thing as perfect policy. What you have is you have scenarios in it. You have what I'd like to do, but then you give us what happens when I don't get it. And look, even for Trump, for all his faults, if he actually had to look at his, he actually, I think during the election debate, they actually asked him, what is the cost of the war? Now, if you could think about through all the debates we had leading up to our manifestos, how many of our mainstream media actually ask our politician, what is the cost of what you're saying in your manifesto? And it's zero. Because mm-hmm. at the heart of it, I think South Africa is like narrative. It's a qualitative narrative of, you know, like they ain't see a better life. But when you actually say, what's a quantitative understanding of what a better life is? Well, like for me, we're well, obviously we speak about healthcare coming at a cost. You speak about the NHI, but you don't give us the numbers for how many of our public hospitals are failing. You don't give us the numbers for how many of our healthcare professionals. Look, I mean, uh, some, I'm, I'm married to a healthcare professional. How many of them go through mental breakdowns, things like mm. that. So when we say, when I say policy, I'm not saying something which is abstract. I'm simply saying at the most basic level, what is the plan for the narrative that you are espousing? And I think we're very weak at that in South Africa.
0: Yeah, no, I think I, I, you really touched on there, like there's just never a query on on. We've we've had someone on the show who spoke about fact-checking on some of the, um, uh, they're from Africa fact-check or Africa check, I'm getting the name wrong, Kate Wilkinson, and and, you know what they would do is go, you know, if Sir Ramaphosa says something about building how many houses on Alexander or whatever it is, and, and just sort of go and say, well, what does that actually mean, what does that account for, like how do we put a number to it? And we don't do that. Often people just sort of take these things, I mean the NHI has been discussed for ages, but I, you know, there's no understanding of what that's going to mean, and um, in, an organi- in a country where we don't, we aren't able to um, sort of provide these basic services at a, at a public level, and not to say that everything's got to be at a public level. There's just there's ramifications there that needs a number to allow people to um, um, to sort of make, make those informed decisions. But is it now? Is the foot of blame at politics? Is it is the foot of blame at um, the media or is it at the public itself? Are they not asking the questions that the journalists need to go find out, or is it just some good rhetoric that's um, sort of, uh, you know, washing washing the the slate clean so people don't ask too many questions?
1: I, I think it's a mixture of everything. But look, I, I can my I don't have an expectation of politicians. Mm. If a, a politicians work on the weakness or sometimes the ignorance of people where I, I would have an issue with is if you, uh, let's say, if you're in the mainstream media who get invited to a lot of these platforms and you just sit there and you just stick a mic in the in the face and say, oh, wow, what do you mean? But then I, then I think we do have to kind of blame us. And I have to say mainstream media because, look, that's where they feel more comfortable than to come to a podcast and say, listen, you're actually going to be asked for 40 minutes or so what is your actual policy position? So I think the media in South Africa has done us a bit of a disservice. Look, I don't I think it, it does border on lazy journalism mm-hmm. if we have to be very truthful. It's so not even ab- about, this, say, you have to know your quants. Your quants. I mean, you know, we all know South Africans and numbers. are former president showed us we're not the greatest at them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, but the point is just to be able to come, say, tell me, look, like, to have a, like a conversation about issues of uh, not minimum wage. I think what was the the the, the issue of. Uh, is it grants, right? Mm-hmm. And a conversation which we should have had started talking about ten years ago, which was to say, look, we know what the number is because every, every year the, the Ministry of Finance will give it to us. But when now do we decide to start saying, listen, maybe grants are not working? Because mm-hmm. you see, it, it, I'm not talking about purely numbers. You know, I'm speaking about a policy decision which is based upon the fact that we know there's never been a country that has developed using grants, yeah. and that we know the grants initially were seen as almost like a, it's it was a way of getting people to a certain level of living and then there was supposed to be something else. And now every discussion I've had it's either you view it as an extremist if you raise this issue, or the media just keeps quiet and says, but no listen, you're trying to take things away from you know from poor people, which is, which is it confuses me because I'm saying, are you now are you the politician or are you a purveyor of information? And I think that confusion has to clearly I'd have to blame more mainstream media for not asking them these tougher questions.
0: I think I mean I I'd really like to probably have you back on when we maybe have a discussion um, on grants. I think it's a it's an exceptionally um, important conversation needs to be had in South Africa. When I, I mean just to talk about the numbers, I think it's something like 16 million people. I mean, you, forgive me, it, 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 that are receiving a grant on a on a on a regular basis, which is obviously like two or three times the the tax base in terms of um, individuals. <laughs> um, and you know, there's there there is this. There was obviously a need to get where we were in 1994, um, with uh, 85% of the population being kept out of the economy for forever. Um, there was a rectifying need at that moment, but there was probably the belief that the economy would grow um, so that people would then jump from grants to um, to something else, and hopefully that be that something else being a job, um, and maybe something like a negative income tax or something along those lines could be something that um, will be approached. But these are questions that not a that are maybe spoken about in a few liberal think tanks, and that's about it. So there's not, it's not a discussion that's happened sort of regularly in, in the mainstream media, and I think there could be something had there. Um, and it's just, you're right, you, you, can't, you can't just um, redistribute people away. Uh, you can get them to a certain place to, like, yeah. to be surviving, but for us to sort of, what we really need is to get 60 million people, or however many working age people working, and it's growing this economy. Um, and then we can probably rely on the social welfare system um, in a bit more of a sort of healthier way, such as the Nordic countries or uh, Scandinavian countries and and in European Western Europe. But we we aren't there yet, and we've got a long way to go. And we probably need to follow maybe a more um, a model closer to Chile, which is a middle income country that seems to have done a bit more better than you know us as a comparison or the Southeast Asian um, smaller countries. Um, so I you know. Uh, we've heard a lot of things, that we've spoken about the elections, um, we've spoken about the next steps, a bit of a broader discussion on the landscape that we find ourselves in, and some of the policy issues that we are looking at. Uh, I wondered if you could sort of distill, um, in, in, you know, we're, let's, we're moving into closing up now, uh, but if we could sort of distill, or you could, not me, distill some of the key um, things that you think that the South African government or policy makers or maybe business needs to do in the next five years. Let's just put it in the next election cycle to say that let's let's to turn the ship around to put us in the right direction. Um, I don't know if you can, if it's one point or five points, I, I would love to hear just sort of your input there.
1: Okay, uh, look, uh, the, my number one, which is I've always been to, is I think we actually need to have a great understanding as in numerically of, because my specialty is local economic development, which is to say the role SMEs in municipalities play. And I think we, if you look look if you look at the data, I think our government's actually been quite poor in that. This actually speaks to with the bigger issue, which I think we've got actually, our model, our economic model in South Africa is a bit off. It's not in line with what we really would desire and want. So moving forward, I think we really do need to go into municipalities and actually find out, listen, where are people actually working? Where are those bus- and about business? And by business, I don't, big business, I don't really believe a lot in big business. I think they actually tend to be quite a big problem. For us, I'm talking about you know your SMME owner the guy who's actually put his skin in the game who actually has a bond leverage to how business does we actually need to help that guy You have to say listen And I think the key thing is and this is where we maybe need to start being a bit more look, uh, Purposeful with our SMMEs. We need SMMEs that actually are export orientated Which is to say government needs to fund businesses which say listen The product I'm making is not just for the South African economy. We're a small economy it's either you're moving to SEDEC or it's either you're moving outside our, our shores. So we need to find those types of business and I think we need to heavily invest into them. Uh, secondly, I think we need to get rid of provinces. Uh, and I know this is where, but I'm not saying obviously it's is going to happen overnight, but there's certain f- departments in, in province that really play no part in helping SMEs at all. If anything, they're a barrier to actually getting finances. And three, the reconfiguration of state-owned entities financial. By that I mean your your big PIC, the ones that actually invest heavily in the country. I think those types of, I think, they're, they're, I read them more as banks than anything else. We need to actually get those PIC type of state-owned entities to actually start investing in the local economy. Which now by local economy, I'm talking about your infrastructure. Where, look, I think we're a bit behind when it comes to your big infrastructure, 5G, 4G, that type of thing. And look, even your most basic, your, look at Gauteng, the fact that we have traffic jams, when we really should just be having a very high-tech type of train, which everybody can afford, not the Gauteng train, which, mm. good idea, just bad pricing again as to how it works. The fact that, look, if you look at our our ports, KZN should have, uh, there's a huge population between KZN and coming into Gauteng. There should have been a super train. they should have been doing quicker things to get people there. That's number three. And also four, look, I think we actually need to start building a proper technocracy, which is to say, listen, we, we might have to relook really look at what does it mean to be a director general, a DG, and a lot of these positions, I think, a lot of them are very redundant. And I think we just need to ask the basic question, if the job this person is doing can be done by one person. Why not? And I think we need probably, and this is maybe a bit more controversial. I think we need two or three super ministries which simply look at how do you get the local local economy to the global audience? How do you actually have proper you know, understanding of tariffs? And because I think tariffs going forward is going to be the future of how the world works. And if we're a bit behind the times, we're going to simply be either dumping site for what, what the Chinese and Americans are fighting over and three, and I think this, and the, which is part of my last point, which I think we have been very weak in, is look, we have to have a firm understanding that by virtue of our history, whether as sad as it is, South Africa needs to be taking more advantage of the continent. And I know South African government has always been a bit worried, been seen as a bully. Well, look, for me, I'm like, listen. It, we need the economy to grow. I'm not saying we're going to go now become the new America. They already call us the Americans on the continent, uh, so mm. we can get rid of that. But I think we do need to start taking more of a, you know, I think more pressure positions on the, in SADC, such mm. that we can say, listen, yes, we, we understand historically we owe you a great debt, and we thank you for that. But I think President Zuma, anyway, in one of his rare honesty moments, he said it, that, listen, you can't keep complaining about issues of xenophobia, which we're not advocating, but also forget that you guys are failed governments. Mm-hmm. So it's an issue of saying we're going to come in with our investment. We're going to make sure that countries like Zim, big and Angola do well, but in return, look, you need to put some money back into our economy. Because I think it's always been, a, we've always been, I think, at the wrong end of the of bad governance on SADC, where they can afford to mess up, know that the general population runs over to South Africa. They pre-repatriate the money back untaxed into the economy. And everybody thinks this is a normal way of doing things. I think if we really have to be very honest, South Africa has to now start leading SADC and later on the rest of the continent. And we have to actually start taking a, a bit of a cut. Because the thing is, we can't go on the way we're going on now. I know mm. the last one's a bit of a controversial one. It'll enlist some,
0: uh, some negative feelings. <laughs> for, yeah, but well, that's what we're here for. I mean, we want to have these ideas put out. And, um, um, you know, I think you touched on a few things. I mean, it sounds like we've got a localize a lot sort of maybe is a big top it's, it's, it's almost it's interesting because' you've, you've kind of said things that are a bit of a, a, a sort of contradiction in terms and somewhat because you've said localize a get away from a top down but you're also suggesting a bigger ministry and, and sort of sh- shredding a lot of that and I'm quite interested to in see how that could work out um, and removing of provinces and whatnot but then but focusing very much at a lower level because um, I think that that's where we need we need change on the ground opposed to politicians in Pretoria and, and Cape Town making decisions that affect everybody. Um, I think you touched on a good. Uh, the corporates, you know, they they probably aren't um, doing enough in the sense, of, you know, not that they have to. They can do whatever they want, but you know, it's, I think it was Standard Bank shedding jobs um, opposed to growing. And you know, they are they are looking at ways to uh, cut back on on on, on labour because of whether it's the minimum wage or whatever you can find yourself. So that they're trying to they they cost uh, cost conscious. So they are going to be shedding back. So SMEs is important. Um, I also think um, the, what, what I'm hearing is also that there seems to be sort of just improving the structures that people find, it, find themselves in. If there is going to be bureaucracy, just make it. Um, you know, if it's if one person can do it, let them do it instead of getting ten people to play solitaire at the same time, <laughs> um, <laughs> and then you still put a whole bunch of red tape. So yeah, there, there seems to be a lot of um, a lot of nuance and understanding there that I think um, hopefully some people uh, listen to and, and and sort of take and, and take action. Um, no, I think I mean we, we, we're coming up to the hour, so I know you've, you've been. Uh, you need to go back and get under the covers and get your med lemon. Um, <laughs> and I, I really, really appreciate your time for spending with us. It's been a fantastic conversation. And I, as I said, I hope we can have you back to maybe unpack a few things that we did in in, uh, in, in isolation and, and get get into the real uh, and deep into that conversation. Um, any other sort of closing words that you have, or um, anything else that? You, uh, maybe I could just ask is it, are you positive? Is, is that is, Are you positive where the direction are we going or or just you don't want to answer that.
1: But no, no, uh, no, no, I think I would say, look, as a Christian, unfortunately, we, we, we're stuck with positivity. It's, it's a way of the world. We can't afford to be negative. As long as we're alive, we, uh, the good Lord impl- implores us to be positive. And look, um, now I say this, uh, you've also traveled the world a bit. So that is one of those unique, by unique, I mean, probably, I'd say, perhaps it's America, Australia, the UK a bit. One of those unique countries where no one really wants to move away because there's anything intrinsically wrong with let's say the, the, the mega picture of South Africa. Everything that is wrong is, it's induced by the fact that we've got poor leadership. Mm. So I'm one of those people who says, listen, when it comes to the issue of innovation, South Africans, I mean, we, we can, I think we can compete with uh, we, we cannot go maybe to the scale of America, but I think given the right time, the right education, we could do that, uh, farming we could do. So for me, I think we've got all the raw ingredients that says no one who in the right mind would want to leave South Africa. We probably leave because we just want a different experience. So uh, that I'm quite positive about. But then I'm also not blind to the fact that listen, we've been playing this game for the last twenty years and I think we should be far better. We've been doing far better. And I think it's almost as though look it's it's we we're approaching that old age of thirty and if things don't change I think history shows us that it's very few countries that actually change after 30 years of independence. So if we don't actually get it right in the next 10 year cycle now, I, I don't know where it's going to go. But like I always tell people, I've lived in Australia, I love Australia, lovely place, but that accent gets to you after a while. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> It just yeah, gets, I've,
0: got, I've got family there, so I can I can agree there. <laughs>
1: on the yeah. So uh, after a while, I don't want to have to go live there full time again. Look, it, so look, I want uh, it has to work. It, it has to work if it means we get behind uh, the ANC. So be provided. Look, I think the D A and the FF have to do a better, a better job of actually showing that they also can come up with ideas. Because what we don't want is to be beholden only to the ANC. Because I have no issues with DA or EFF took over, provided they can say this is where we're going policy wise. This is what we want, and I think that's what everybody would want for the country, for it just to be better off like that.
0: Excellent. Okay, TK Power, thanks very much for the time. Um, you know, uh, please just to to our, our, our listeners and to our viewers, just you know subscribe, and um, we'll put some of your details, TK, in the in the link below, so that people can see more about your the work that you're doing and follow you on Twitter and all the rest and um, yeah, please keep, uh, keep keep hearing us, and um, we also welcome your input. So give us a shout. What do you want to hear about? Discussed in digital discourse today, and if you want to be part of the conversation, also just uh, get in touch with us. We really appreciate it. Anyway, thanks very much. Have a good one. Thanks, Rick. Cheers. Bye.